channel proliferation is probably the biggest challenge slash roadblock. It's kind of like analysis paralysis kind of thing. You get channel paralysis. It's like, I don't know what to do because there's so many options. Digital is meant to solve some problems on the convenience side and the friction side for consumers for the first step, which is just getting the application in the door. It doesn't solve any of the other onboarding problems that you have. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 241 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Jim Craig to the show. Jim is the co-founder of Conatext, a full service digital agency for credit unions, community banks, and fintech providers. And Jim brings almost three decades of experience that I'm looking forward to sharing with you today, the dear listener to empower you to maximize your future digital growth potential going forward. Welcome to the show, Jim. It is good to share time with you today, buddy. Thank you, James Roberts. Great to be spending time with you as well. It's been too long since we've talked. It really has been. And before we get into talking digital marketing for what you call modern financial institutions, what has been good for you, man? What's been good for you personally? What's been good for you professionally? It is always your pick to get started on a positive note. I'll choose personal. <laughs> I had a great summer. I work from home, have actually since uh, 2014, 2012, somewhere around there. You know, been able to spend a lot of time during the summer with the family. And I've got two kids uh, having a great time in high school, you know, doing the high school sports thing and all that kind of thing. And actually, we're off to a band competition tonight. Uh, my son's in the state uh, finals for his uh, school division uh, in tennis on Friday. So wow. yeah, a lot of exciting things happening uh, in the uh, the Craig household uh, this, this fall. Absolutely. Well, congratulations. And it's so interesting to think about the, the, the context, uh, or the <laughs> pun intended, the context, but the context <laughs> of time here, because if I go back in my mind a little over a decade, when you and I first met, I was just starting a family with my wife. I think, you know, I had a one-year-old, maybe a two-year-old and then a new and a newborn flash forward a decade later, yours are in high school. Mine are now in elementary middle school, junior high. And it's just interesting to think about the context or the context of time. I cannot help myself with this one, but, but, but I want to go back. I want to go back in your mind a decade because, mm -hmm. you know, a decade ago you were sitting on the other side of the table, if you will. Um, you were vice president of marketing at first advantage federal credit union. Go back in your mind to where you were then to where you are today uh, running Conatext, and what is tra has transformed in this decade? Because I think you bring in an extreme amount of empathy for the dear listener who has been, or where you were in their seat a decade ago. 
you know, what's changed in the last 10 years is the same thing that changed the 10 years previous to that. I mean, I've been involved in digital marketing one way, shape or form since 1995 when I built my first website, you know, similar story to you, except I was doing it back in the day when, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos was selling books out of his garage. I probably should have gotten the books out of the garage route myself if I wanted to be a rich man, but I'm, <laughs> I was stuck with financial institutions and, and credit unions, and I'm happy with that. But yeah, in the last 10 years, really what's happened, I think that's changed is, is marketers, credit union marketers are really starting, uh, have really grown in their understanding of of how you know how big a part the digital channel is in the consumer's financial journey. Um, you know, back in, you know, when I was making the transition from First Advantage over to a fintech company uh, to work on the other side of the desk, it was really only people like me that were kind of out in the forefront trying yes. new things, trying out different marketing channels, trying out different fintech solutions, that kind of thing. Now it's much more common. There's many more marketers out there that are really um, exploring those those avenues for engaging the the consumer. When you think about the journey that has been taken, say, at more of, of a macro level and the mass consciousness, if you will, of financial brand marketers to get from where they were a decade ago to where they're at today, they have more awareness. If we look in the present moment, what might be the big danger or roadblock that the dear listener should be aware of looking ahead towards the future that could be an impediment to make progress over the next decade? I'd say probably channel proliferation is probably the biggest challenge slash roadblock is is getting, you know, that, you know, it's kind of like analysis paralysis kind of thing. You get channel right. paralysis. It's like, I don't know what to do because there's so many options. Everybody told me I should do this, Instagram, TikTok, you know, this, this solution, that solution, you know, I should be engaging consumers here, there, and they just get to the point where they, they just get confused, you know, just get to the point where it's like, stop, I just don't want to do any of it. There's a great TED talk and book on the subject, um, and it's something that I've talked and written about a lot too. It's the paradox of choice. It's like when when presented with all of these options, or in this particular case, opportunity, where where do we begin? What should we focus on? Particularly if if we do have limited time, limited resources, whether that be capacity or capability or or cash. What's your take on that? Because I agree with you. There's there's an abundance of opportunity. There's a, an abundance of channels, but it's overwhelming and that can create a little bit of confusion, frustration, and chaos. So how can we simplify this? Where should one begin thinking about what are the next best steps to overcome the the roadblock of channel proliferation? Um, you know, kind of go back to, you know, strategic planning 101, you know, who is your market? You know, who is your audience you're trying to reach? Um, but, you know, so that at the very simplest, that's where it starts, you know, really understanding your audience and and how they use digital channels. But then you have to add on to that. How are these digital channels used by the consumer? Mm. You know, everybody flocked to Facebook. Now they're flocking to TikTok, you know, but how the consumer uses that isn't necessarily compatible with every brand out there in terms of the product or service that they want to market and understanding that the channels is just as important as as understanding your your audience so really that's at the very basic uh point of when i work with my clients is like you know yeah we start a lot of times with budget discussion we only have so much to spend what do we do you know but i don't have a blanket prescription for everybody it always depends on what do you want do you want awareness do you want to wear, you know, who do you want awareness with, or do you want, you know, 
acquisition. What kind of products are you wanting to, you know, sell and acquire new customers with? So it always starts with a very basic discussion of who are you trying to reach and with what are you trying to reach them? You start with the end in mind, work backwards from there. And when you think about channels, you think about you've got paid search, you've got paid uh, social, you've got organic, you, you've got email, you've got now video. What have been the biggest changes you have seen around the paid side of media, um, particularly with the, and I, I think Google keeps kicking the can down the road when it comes to third-party cookies, it's coming, it's here essentially what has happened around this? Cause I still hear some confusion and conversations that I have around. I understand third-party cookies, but I don't understand third-party cookies. What should we do to prepare so that we're not caught off guard when Google says we're done with this? Cause I think it was like, it was 2020, then it was 2021. And what are they looking at? 2023 or 2024 now? Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's 2023, 2024, everybody's still, every time they announce the new data, everybody's like, okay, fine, you know, but it, that'll probably get moved too. And uh, as long, and it probably comes down to, again, regulators until the point regulators really crack down and say, nope, this has got to change. They'll probably keep, keep kicking the can down the road. But what, what I'm, what I, how I'm working uh, with my clients, with, you know, all the channels that I use, digital channels I use, is we still do use third-party cookies in some some instances, but usually, again, it's to help make certain types of campaigns more effective, you know, be able to be able to retargeting, identify an audience that's, you know, and, and retarget them in other channels. You got a group coming in through paid search, but you want to re redeploy some display at them or vice versa, you know, um, you know, nowadays you can even do direct mail. And as yes. long as you have that customer list, you can import them in and target display ads at that same audience. So at the same time, they're getting the, the direct mail piece. They can be seeing some ads for you as well. So and, and or you can be tracking to see whether any of that direct mail audience has visited your website. So there's a bunch of different ways you can use those third party cookies, which is great. So continue to use them, but keep an eye. I'm keeping an eye on what a lot of the big providers, the big platforms out there are doing in regards to this because they, they there's got to be you know they all need a solution or to keep selling ads uh and ad space so the big publishers you know from trade desk google you know facebook they're all trying to find a solution so i'm keeping an eye on that space but in the meantime the strategies behind the the tactics that end up using third-party cookies have always been there. You know, you think about back to the day and age of buying radio, TV, and and print. I mean, you still need to think about the different levels of of advertising awareness, you know, interest, decision level. You know, you still need to have that full funnel of of uh, of um, advertising tactics in, in in mind. So it's just a matter of you know maybe some things will change as far as which particular platform we might use to layer in you know in the future to again get the, as much as we can out of a particular you know advertising campaign digital growth is a journey from good to great but sometimes this journey can feel confusing frustrating and overwhelming the good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. 
is it possible to see a shift maybe the pen, pendulum swings a little bit further towards content seo it's almost kind of like we're going back to what is old is now new again it's i just find it a little bit ironic because like you said 95 is your context of getting into the space i was 2000 myself and uh, and it's funny when when you mentioned bezos because it was july 5th 1994 that bezos founded amazon and then flash forward a year later may 18th 1995 was the day that that the first online banking platform uh, was launched by Wells Fargo. So here we are, literally almost 30 years later. Um, and so I think you and I have some very good perspective at what, you know, what has transpired over this time period. And we're almost now cycling back to uh, an emphasis on content, on SEO, which is, I know it's been a big focus in a big area of, of your firm. Um, what have we seen in regards to the transformation and maybe the focus on this front? Because once again, it's a, it's a whole nother quote unquote channel. It's a whole nother discipline. Uh, and I would say that word discipline is important because when it comes to SEO, it, it's habit and you've got to continuously feed the beast. I think where the evolution has come on SEO and this is part of that cycle, the pendulum kind of thing is, um, you know, in the past it was, you've got to just publish, 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 get tons of content on the site. Now it's a matter of really being an expert in something or some things. Uh, mm. Google has really changed its algorithm over the years to the point where in the last two years, it's really focusing on the eat principles, you know, expertise, authority, and trust Yes. to the point now where it's identifying a website by what areas is it an expert in? What areas does it have authority and trust in to the point where now I'm having to work with clients to say, okay, we're getting put into this little pigeonhole over here to say, you're an expert in, you know, uh, mortgage, you know, mortgage loans, but that's it. We can't get the search engine away from that. So we're having to create a whole other content, you know, content library, so to speak, yep. around uh, auto financing and, and other things in order to be able to be seen as experts in multiple areas, which is kind of funny when you think about it, banks and credit unions always had kind of an advantage over fintechs is being able to have more, be able to offer more than the one single relationship that brought the customer in, in the first place. But now it's flipping because of uh, the way Google's uh, you know, kind of pigeonholing websites into being experts in one thing or another. It's giving the single, you know, monoline, monolithic, you know, providers an advantage for their particular product because that's all they talk about. You know, Quicken Loans only talks about mortgages. Capital One, for the most part, is all credit cards. You mm -hmm. know, that's at least that's their lead product. So it's credit cards all the time on their site. So. That's where the search engine sends people. It wants to send people to the best solution for their question, you know, or their need. And so it sees these these big silos of content as the best place to send people. And so that that's where I see the pendulum going. And and there's still an opportunity because of the strength of uh, the the search engines in terms of wanting to provide local options to people, yes. not always just the national options. They want to provide local options, but you've got to offer the same level of expertise as the big guys and, and it's possible, but it does require that like the long-term thinking and, and work. I think that right there, it's possible, but it requires you play the long game. Yeah. And there's a lot of mindset and coaching that goes into this. You, you do a lot of this with, with, with your financial brands that you advise and, and, and guide. 
how do you help them see beyond, we'll call it the short-term pain of the present moment to take a much larger and maybe a, a higher level view to play the long game, to commit to play the long game, um, to think, you know, beyond quarter to quarter, but maybe over the course of a year or two or three years. I think it was even in Content Inc., Joe Polizzi was like, if you're going to commit to a longer game of, of you know, building, you know, expertise and authority, it's a 30-month commitment uh, from Polizzi's point of view. And, and he was the founder of Content Marketing Institute. So how do you help, I would say, individuals, teams, organizations, executive leaders make this longer-term commitment and make it not feel so painful? mostly by tying it into the end result you know they want new accounts they want new loans so tie it into that you know maybe that means that we start off with you know at the very basics um seo on their product pages you know really focusing on making those pages as effective as possible from a, from both the search perspective but also from, from a conversion perspective you yep. know you want if you're going to get people to that page you don't want them to say, ah, okay, and then leave. You know, they, you want them to see themselves. You see the see people like them being, you know, served by this solution, happy with the solution, that kind of thing. And then, you know, adding on that paid search, adding on to that some, and then you know, kind of building out from there. Now let's talk about interest level content. How can we develop some content on your website that answers some questions that eventually will lead to the need of that product? You know, yes. and and then move our way up the funnel. It's a lot of times how to how I work with clients so that because a lot of times they're like we need you know we need loans now okay <laughs> we can do that but let's you know continue to look at how do we make ourselves so we're not always having to pay for uh, the traffic to that page and I think that's a, a very important point to make because I I hear a lot of financial brands they want they want more growth um, they want more leads they want more conversions and they think well we need to pour more you know time, effort, energy, dollars into the top of the funnel to drive more traffic. And I'm like, no, whoa, like how much are we losing right now? Because we don't have the proper systems or conversion points to capture what we're already getting naturally. Um, because if we add, you know, fuel to the fire, that fire is eventually going to quickly burn itself out because it just can't sustain because we're losing the opportunity at the bottom of the funnel. So I, I, I like your approach with that. I think another area of opportunity, if, if we're kind of just going to run the, the, the gambit of the channels, if you will, um, it, and you and I have been talking about this for a decade or more. We've been thinking about this and, and, and Brian Claggett as well. Um, it's this idea of referrals building referrals into the growth engine. I wrote about this in Banking on Digital Growth with the Banker's Strategy Circle, where you build an audience, you attract with personalized offers, you nurture with automation and content, you convert for loans and deposits, you expand the relationships by deleting account in the onboarding period, and then the R. You repeat the process with ratings, with reviews, and with referrals. Untapped opportunity. I'm not seeing many financial brands really even thinking about this, yet alone executing against this. You have a platform called Referral Engine. Number one, why are not that many organizations thinking about this right now? 
number one, it's uh, it is a little bit of work, and again, it's hard to see an immediate return on it. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of financial institutions maybe have tried a referral program in the past. You know, it could have been you know take ones in the branch. You know, uh, forms that kind of form fills that kind of thing that they sent their their members or customers out with with uh, forms for their their friends to bring in, send out thousands of them, ten come back in. Okay, w- was it worth it? All the work and training the the branch staff and all that kind of stuff to do. Um, so I think that's a number one number one reason why people a lot of times are like, yeah, not not for us, not this year, you know, kind of thing. And of course, the next year, but still not for us, not next, not not this year, you know, kind of thing. And so it just keeps on that that can that keeps on getting kicked down the road, right? But and I think this is the most ironic thing: people trust people. People are the most powerful marketing channel still on planet Earth if we provide them with a mechanism to make it easy to share the love, if you will. And, you know, historically, there's been a lot of friction tied to the referral, quote unquote, process, if you even call it a process at all, because it's either A, paper-based, or B, if it's, quote unquote, digital, it was a, and we're still seeing this in 2022. It's a PDF um, on a website that we're asking you to print out and give to someone and then they have to come into the branch and it's like no one is going to do that and i think that's because we haven't really thought through what that part of the consumer journey looks like and to that note when you think about the journey and journey mapping it can now and it almost needs to be at more of micro journeys and how the micro journeys interconnect with one another like lego building blocks to to build the macro journey so let's look at just this one micro journey around referrals opportunities to eliminate friction reduce friction and as a result increase referrals and as a result increase loans deposits new accounts what's possible these days, I mean, we've got uh, the ability to, for instance, you know, take it, take a, a member that's, you know, really happy with you. Maybe they've just completed a satisfaction survey and mm. they're, they're really happy with you. Great time to ask for referral in branch. It's still a great time to ask for referral, but, you know, there's so many different ways to engage your member at a good moment to say, hey, you know, you're happy with us. Why not ask a friend? you know, to, to join, you know, get the same kind of experience and be happy with, with us too, especially maybe somebody who's not happy with where they're at, giving them a, an easy way to, to take advantage of that. I want to hop in here real fast and, and, and provide a little bit of context for the dear listener. Number one, NPS. Okay, great. How likely are you to refer a friend or family to us? Okay. We all do those NPS scores, but what's the point? It's a vanity metric because now when you build in referrals, once again, the R in the Baker strategy circle, rating, reviews, referrals, if someone is giving you that nine or 10, if they're identifying as a, uh, as an advocate, um, as a promoter, um, if you will, to use the NPS term, if they're identifying as a promoter, the next logical step is to ask for the referral. But then I also like what you just mentioned, though, about the branch. Maybe it's the call center even. And it's a binary question in every, in every engagement, in every conversation with a binary question. Do you feel like I helped you today? It's a yes or a no. 
And if it's a yes, great. So like, let's role play this, Jim. Jim, do you feel like I helped you today, Jim? Yes, James Robert. I really do feel like you helped me today. Well, that's, that's so wonderful to hear. You know, one of the best ways that we continue to help others is by helping you. But would you mind helping me help others by just spreading the word? Um, you know, people like you, people know you, people trust you. I'd love to have the opportunity to help your friends, to help your family. Would, would, would I be able to, to have that opportunity with you? Um, it sounds good, but I mean, you know, how, how, how do I do that? So here's my card on the back of it. It's a QR code. If you feel like I've helped you today, all you have to do is snap at this QR code. It'll open up a landing page. You're going to see my picture, and then you can literally refer me to your friends and to your family. And what we've just done in this particular instance is we've had a little bit of a dialogue. We've had a little bit of a discussion. We've, re, you know, we've, I think, taken some of the awkwardness of referrals out. But I think the important part here in this example compared to what I see with other financial brands and even I think just general retail brands is we're not referring the brand anymore. We're now referring the person because that's where the relationship is. It's like, I've had this relation and maybe, you, you know, you and I have known each other for, you know, a decade and we've had done business for a decade. Why don't we, why don't we look at referring people as opposed to the brand. It's just a different way I think about, and this is where my mind is kind of just transformed over the last decade. Cause when I used to think about referrals, I used to think about referring the brand. But now as I look ahead towards the next decade, I've been saying micro has the potential to beat the macro. And it's like all of these, I would say it's more hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, and it takes a little bit more work. It's a little bit more gritty to do this well, type of work it's culture too it, it's culture and i think that's where it you know credit unions especially need need time to to you know move that way just like with leads you know a lot most credit unions aren't really geared you know, you know culturally to to handle a lead based you know sales process um you know to be able to nurture leads and, and on an individual basis i mean there are some out there but i mean for the most part uh you know i think those two go hand in hand that's a great point. Why is that? Because because I agree, um, and I've even had organizations who've been in the Digital Growth University for you know five, six, seven years. Because every year they get better, they get better, they get better. But there's one organization that sh has shared with me over the last year or two. We're driving all of these leads, but we can't get anyone to pick them up and do anything with them because they don't see them as a quote unquote person. They 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 see someone coming into the branch and that's real to them. But an email address is this thing out in the quote unquote cloud. And I can't wrap my head. So let's talk about the cultural aspect, because I think this is a, an important part to just, you know, to dialogue and discuss through a little bit. It's a difficult mix because you're asking uh, basically a service or a service, you know, type per person that was hired for their service capabilities to now also have sales capabilities, you know, mm. a salesperson, you know, a true salesperson for any organ, you know, sales organization, given the leads that potentially could be given by a digital program to say, Hey, here's somebody who's raised their hand. There's interest in a home equity loan, but they're only interested. They haven't applied, but they're just interested. They're like, dang, I'm talking to them, you know, five, you know, eight out of 10 will be bad. 
but right. I'm going to have two good ones in that. And that's going to drive them. That's going to be their, what, what makes their day is turning two of those 10 into an application, you know, and, and shepherding them through to close and everything like that. Whereas in a lot of cases, the branch staff and even the call center staff are, are hired to serve the customer, you know, solve problems, get them from request to completion, uh, you know, fulfillment of that request kind of thing. They don't think in those terms in terms of I'm going to take these 20 leads that were given to me and I'm going to turn, you know, two or three of them into a new account or loan. They, they don't see that as a as success. Yeah. And it's the idea of the reactive versus the proactive culture. If, is it possible to maximize we'll just call it digital growth. And maybe the better question is not if, cause it's binary. How might it be possible to maximize digital growth if the culture is inherently reactive or service-based, not necessarily proactive advisory guidance, being able to take in digital opportunity and transform that into accounts like what do we need to be thinking about? What do we need to be considering here? Well, probably a stopgap solution of of having some a small group that is yes. that is their purpose is to just work those leads and and qualify them and then move them in a fully qualified state to somebody who can complete the, the transaction um, is probably the the to me in my mind the simplest uh, route to uh, around the problem. Digital sales team essentially, um, and they operate. Yeah. They operate differently. I think that's an important note to make. They operate differently. In one of the tools that 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 we use on this front is uh, is uh, an assessment called Colby, uh, K O L B E, and have had some conversations in the podcast about this. But it looks at a person's natural operating strengths, um, how they. It's not about their personalities; it's how they naturally work. And what we historically find is in financial services, a person's natural operating strength is around either the modality of fact finding, information gathering, or following through. They tend to be resistant to uh, another area from Colby's work, which is quick starting. Quick starting though, however, is I would say more trends to be someone in a sales role. Um, So Colby could be something that helps to identify who might be a right fit for this type of, uh, of an initiative within an organization, because the same would be true referrals, referrals or leads. How are those leads then being, you know, someone is referred. Is it a one and done referral? Hey, your friend, you know, referred you and that's it. Or is there a person that could get involved and maybe build a little bit of rapport relationship, et cetera, to take that yeah. re- referral to the next step to ultimately then to move them into close. Digital applications, you know, your applications, you get through the digital channel. I mean, what I see, I have a number of clients where I'm, I'm following them from the click on the apply now button all the way through to completed application to funding. And there is a you know, large gap between uh, the apply now button and the completed application, which is friction in the application itself. But there's a big gap too between a- completed application and funded. If you have a team that can reach out to those saying, you know, making sure that they know, hey, you've been approved. Let's, you know, figure out how, you know, you probably don't even know the next step to go from that. Yeah, you're approved. What do you do now? Guide them through that, you know, make part of their job to to get as many of those approved loans or new accounts funded and active 
digital is meant to solve some problems on the convenience side and the friction side for consumers for the first step, which is right. just getting the application in the door. Yes. It doesn't solve any of the other onboarding problems that you have. I mean, digital onboarding pro programs can be somewhat effective, but I've found even the best, you know, Amex, Chase, some of these others that, you know, their credit card programs are very good digital onboarding programs. They still don't answer and, you know, all the questions, they don't still don't activate the the, the account as well as a, a human with the right skill set. Like you said, you know, having that quick start mentality, listening for clues and offering information at the right time. And that's that digital human interface. It's the best of both worlds, whether that be in person, over the phone, remotely, email, video. I mean, there's so many different ways to look at this. And I hypothesize here. I've been really giving this some consideration lately because I think it's it's the framing and it's the context. And there's that word again. It's the framing and the context of the context of, of how we view this internally. Because if we think, okay, I get a thousand visits to a page, and I'm going to do this to make my math super easy so I don't have to think too hard, but I get a thousand visits to a page, I get a 10% conversion rate on those 1,000 visits that start an application. So I get a hundred people now, but then we know around, I'll make my math easy, 80% that start abandon the application. So I just lost 80 people. So I have now I have 20 people that are coming all the way through to completion. That's great. But out of those 20 people, what is my funding rate? So that's the, back to your point. So then it's like, if I go back into just that one part, that micro journey, how much opportunity am I really losing? And if you say, oh, well, we only lost 85, 85 leads. Well, that doesn't hurt enough. And I think the way that particularly marketing teams can communicate this internally is don't talk in lead loss, talk in real dollar opportunity loss. So for example, some recent research that we um, have come across and a lot of marketers just don't know this. It's like, well, what's my, what's my CLV? What's my customer lifetime value or my MLV? What's my member lifetime value? And so some of the research that we found said that the lifetime value of a new account um, at, a, at a billion dollar institution is around $2,500 over the life of that relationship. Okay, fine. I lose 80 leads quote unquote, because of friction in my application. What is that? Make my math easy. 2000 times 80, $160,000 in lifetime customer or member lifetime value. Well, now multiply that over the course of 12 months. It's like $1.8 million or so. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So then it's like, okay, well, if I was able to go back in and recapture some of that by adding in a human interface, adding in automation, because it shouldn't just be human interface alone. It should be human with automation, automation being an augmentation to the human capability. How much could we go back and recapture, regain, and then you exponentially multiply that by adding fuel to the funnel through everything that we were talking about with, with channels? It's so true. I mean, that's, that's where, again, you kind of need the CEO understanding the consumer journey these days. I mean, they really, CEOs, it should be, you know, along with the marketers, in, in banks credit is really thinking about the consumer journey and and the part digital plays it and the part yes. they 
play in that journey as well and how they need to interface better rather than just be a cold handoff from one to the other. It's like, okay, now we do our thing. Um, and I think that's where, again, the back office doing their thing on the, the new account and new loan side, they're used to having a person started the process, right? right. The in-branch experience that guided people. Th- these these people that came in through the digital channels have, you know, unless they were an existing customer, have no real knowledge of what's going on, you know, exactly. what to expect, all that kind of stuff. If they don't have a human guide jump in at some point to help them feel more comfortable, connect with the brand, it was a trial run. It's say, hmm, this sounds interesting. Let me give it a shot. But if the response isn't what they expect, that'll be a wasted effort on both your parts. I've had some really great conversations with Jay Bear on the podcast, and he's doing some new research around speed and the correlation between speed and service and how they go hand in hand together. I, I think about, and, and it's this, this, it's almost the paradox I'm finding of digital that at the C-suite, at the executive level, they think technology, and then you introduce and in, you know some of the subject matter into marketing teams, and marketing teams begin to progress. But then you've got service and sales teams, and they start to lag behind. And so you kind of create this like internal friction. I think about this 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 Houston restaurant that my wife and I recently went to. Booked the reservation online. Fantastic experience, dining experience. Well, well done. There are a couple of things that bother me and eh, no big deal. I'd probably go back to them again, but we got an email. We got a follow-up email from the major D just checking in on the experience. And it was that one email that I just, I hit reply and I was like, fantastic. It was great. Here are just a couple of you know pain points for me. Got a phone call from the GM inviting us back in cocktails on them and i'm like that right there that little bit of human effort made a massive deposit in my trust bank that sits between my ears i think it's these are the small little opportunities that go and pay massive dividends in a digital world where getting that human interface may or may not be looked at. As we look ahead, How? what are the opportunities to empower financial brands and back to your point, maybe even CEOs to see how all of this interconnects together? Well, I think, like you said, um, you know, we've been, you know, putting ourselves out there to say we have better service, you know, we're smaller, we're, you know, we, we're going to, you're going to have to figure out how to take that in-branch experience and meld it with the online experience in order to be able to create a, a new differentiation, differentiation for your brand, you know, and it doesn't even have to be, I actually was just thinking about this the other day uh, about pumpkin spice, mm-hmm. you know, you know, pumpkin spice was an innovation when it came out about 10 years ago. And, you know, as far as, you know, Starbucks adding it to the coffee, pumpkin spice obviously has been around a lot longer than that, but, you know, adding it to coffee, wow, you know, big thing. So then people started adding it to everything. Some of that worked, some of it didn't. Pumpkin spice scented tires, not going to work, but, you know, uh, you know, adding it to, to drinks and, and other, other things really worked. Well, you need to think about that in terms of how you add people into the digital equation as well. You can just say, "Hey, we'll, we'll do a follow-up call on all of these once they've they've finished the process and they're they're funded. We'll just put them into our regular onboarding, like we would do for a branch customer." But like I said, you, you're missing the point that there's uh there's really where the disconnect happened was three or four steps before that. Yeah. And so really understanding, you know, that's really where I think uh, CEOs and marketers really need to understand the journey better to understand really where the where the the, the cliffs are, where the fall-offs are you know, at each level and understand what they can and can't do. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of this, the marketers can't fix, 
Correct. That's why I think it's very important. CEOs need to be involved in this to understand how to bring the teams together to address these these shortcomings because digital gets put in marketing, which is good. Um, since again, the content is so important, you know, and the, and the messaging is so important, but the processes that support digital hit so many other operational areas in a financial institution that really, some, you know, it needs to be more than just the marketers, marketing teams, um, you know, responsibility. As you're talking through this, I almost see a multi-step process to leave the dear listener with. Number one, if we want to remove external friction, which would then lead to future growth, that begins first and foremost by reducing internal friction across teams. When we reduce the internal friction, the byproduct of that is to reduce the external friction reduce the external friction, then ultimately you're going to maximize growth going forward, regardless of channel. Jim, this has yep. been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your wisdom. What is the best way for someone to reach out to you? Say hello, continue the conversation and discussion that we started here today. Easiest way is website, conotext.com or reach out to me by email, jim.craig at conotext.com. And that's C-O-N-O-T-E-X-T. So as, as you say, we we kind of play off the the idea of context. Well, connect with Jim, learn with Jim, grow with Jim. Jim, this has been a great conversation. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Pleasure as always, James Robert. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.